All right, so we are headed towards baptism number five. We're not there yet, and the reason we're not there yet is because I want to emphasize very strongly the importance, the magnitude of this next baptism that we're headed towards. Um, we talked about some preliminary things. We, we established through the scriptures that if you are saved, if you have believed the gospel, if you have believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, you are, what the Bible says, in Christ. You're in Christ. The opposite of that is to be not saved but lost, and the Bible calls that without Christ. And Bible terminology, that doesn't just mean you don't have Christ. That means you are outside of him. If you want the definition for that word, in Hebrews chapter 13, the Bible says that Christ suffered without the gate. It doesn't mean he, he didn't have a gate when he suffered, okay? It means he was outside of the city, outside of the gate. And if you are lost, you are without Christ. You're outside of Christ. But if you are saved, you've trusted Jesus Christ, believed on the gospel that he died for your sins, was buried and rose again the third day, you are in Christ. And that might not seem very important to you, but when you, we do a Bible study, we find out how important that is. And I fear many Christians are ignorant of all they have in Christ. And it's evident by our lives. Sadly, um, we talked last week, we got, how many points did we hit last week? Six points we hit last week. Really quickly, we talked about that we have justification through redemption in Christ. We no longer have condemnation because we're in Christ. We now have life because we're in Christ. We have access to the love of God because we're in Christ. And I'm not going to go through what we talked about there, but we have access to the love of God because we're in Christ. We have been joined to a fellowship of one body. You belong to something now. And because that's because you're in Christ. And in the last one we finished up with in Romans 16, we are approved. And Ephesians chapter 1 also says we are accepted because we're in Christ. All those things are because a person is in Christ. You do not have those without being that position in Christ. And so we're going to keep going at these, uh, on these points about what we have in Christ. And like I said, I can't spend a ton of time on each one of these points. They're, each one is a message in itself. Um, but I will try to give as much explanation and application to each one so that we have a clear understanding of all the benefits of being in Christ. And then once we're done with this list, we will talk about the baptism that we're headed towards with this. So, all right. So turn your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. We'll start in verse 1. Hey, Brother Rich. How you doing, man? <laughs> it's like my guardian angel up there. <laughs> All right, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God, and Sosthenes, our brother, unto the church of God, which is at Corinth, to them that are sanctified in Christ Jesus. Do you know what you have in Christ Jesus? You have a sanctification. What does that mean? It means you are set apart for a particular purpose and obviously, this particular purpose is for God's purpose. You know, most of the world, they're taught that they came from nothing, 
They're going to nothing, and therefore they have no purpose in this life. They have no idea. They might manufacture some purpose. Oh, it would be good to my fellow man. Oh, this or that. Raise a family. You know, enjoy life. Blah, blah, blah. It's all temporary, and it's all fleeting. And when something bad comes along, when the trials of life comes along, come along, it, it, it vanishes because that purpose is, is, is not nearly as important as an eternal purpose that God has set you and I apart for. If you're in Christ, God has given you purpose in this life. Number one, that purpose is to be an ambassador for Christ. All right? That purpose is to bring the lost to Christ, to reconcile them to God. Ultimately, ultimately, the purpose, Revelation 4.11, the purpose is to bring honor and glory and pleasure to God. Um, I just stumbled across a verse yesterday in Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 35. God's talking to the nation of Israel. And he says, I did all this for you. I did these things for you. I did these things for you specifically for Israel. I did this specific, specific thing for Israel. I blessed you here. I delivered you here. I gave you this benefit. And he says that you may know. And it, he doesn't say that you may know that you're special. He doesn't say that you may know that you're favored by God, even though Israel is favored by God. It says that you may know that I am the Lord. And the goal is not to exalt Israel, but the goal is to exalt the Lord. That is the purpose with everything. So God brought Israel out to exalt the Lord. And that's what God did for you and I when he brought us out of sin and saved us. He brought us out not to exalt ourselves, not to say, hey, look what I am now. It's to say, look what he did for me. And you have a purpose to do that. And I have a purpose to glorify God. Everything here, let everything that hath breath, what? Praise the Lord. That's supposed to be the purpose we have. And now that you're in, if you're in Christ, you have a purpose that everything we do is to exalt the Lord Jesus Christ and God the Father. That's our purpose. We have that now in Christ. You say, there's no point to my life. Yeah, there is. Yeah, there is. And not only that, there's a reward for doing what he said he called you to do. It, it, God's good, man. <laughs> he, 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 through no merit of our own, I, I'm, not, I'm sorry, I'm going to take a little sidetrack here. Through no merit of our own, nothing we could have done, he pulls us out of the fires of hell from the penalty of sin, delivers us from that. We couldn't do it ourselves. We couldn't do anything for ourselves. We were helpless. He saves us out of that, and we owe him everything. It's our reasonable service to, to, to do everything we can for him, and yet he says, if you obey me, I'm going to reward you. <laughs> what, 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 how merciful and gracious is God to do that for us? All right, so, so let's, not, you know, let's not forget that we have a purpose for him, and he's, he deserves it, um, he's, he's worthy of it, and yet he's still good to us and he rewards us for it. But we have a purpose to exalt God and, and to do the things he's called us to do in this life, specifically to, to uh, testify to the lost of him as well. All right, so you, we have, we, we're sanctified and we have a holy purpose now in this life. All right, look ahead at the same chapter, but look at verse 30. <clears throat> All right, this one's a little more obscure. I've got to kind of explain this one, but... Paul makes this statement at the end of his, uh, he goes through the introduction to, to Corinthians, talking about some things we don't really have time to uh, elaborate on, but he says this, he makes this statement in verse 30, but of him are ye in Christ Jesus. Okay, now that, I know that the wording is a little bit, uh, might seem a little awkward to you, but he, what, he, what's he, what is he saying there? He says, ye are of, and he's referring back to God, uh, if you look back at verse 28, and the base things of the world and things that are, which are despised hath God chosen, yea, and things which are not to bring to naught things that are, that no flesh should glory in his, God's presence, but of him, God, are ye in Christ Jesus. Ye are of God 
how in Christ Jesus. Okay, you may see that. I know the grammar is a little more difficult for our modern corrupt English, but of him are ye how in Christ Jesus. You know what? When you got put in Christ, you are now of God. Why is that important? Because before you were saved, you were of that wicked one, the devil. Ooh, did I, did I hit a stump there? You know that's the truth, right? Okay, you and I had our conversation in the God of this world, the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. That's who we were. That's who our father was. What did, what did Jesus Christ say to the Pharisees who didn't believe on him? Ye are of your father, the devil. That's who we were of. That's, that, was our, that was our father. That was our family. And when you trusted Christ, if, you, if you've trusted Christ, God pulled you out of that family and made you of God. You are now of God. You are totally disassociated now with that corrupt, wicked devil. And you are now associated with God and a part of his family. We're gonna, there's a few that kind of connect here in these next few ones. But you are now of God. You don't have a father, the devil. You have a father, God. That, that's, a, that's a benefit. That's a, that's a blessing to know that. If you don't understand that, you know, someone who, before you can get saved, you need to understand you are lost. You can't, you can't just, you know, I get concerned with these conversions where they're walking down the aisle chewing bubble gum and like, like it, you know, I'm just going to add another little religious thing to my life. The Bible says if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God. By the death of his son. We, you were an enemy of God. Why? Because you were of that wicked. You were of the, your father, the devil, and so was I. But when we got saved, not anymore. You're of God. You're of him. You're his child now, okay? And this is, what, this is what's interesting. This particular benefit in Christ is mentioned seven times in the Bible. It's the most frequently mentioned benefit of being in Christ, that you are no longer of your father, the devil. You are now of God. It's mentioned in 1 John five times. It's mentioned in Galatians chapter 3, verse 26, and it's mentioned right here in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30. If you're in Christ, you are now of God, and you're no longer of the devil. All right, number nine. Look over at 1 Corinthians chapter 4. We need to take some time and meditate and think upon these things. Because we're walking around with a load of benefits. The Bible says he daily loadeth us with benefits. And sometimes we're just ignorant of all that we have and we're just living this life like any other lost person would live it. And yet we have all this to our account. 1 Corinthians chapter 4 Verse 15. All right, now this one kind of ties in with the last one, but it's a little more specific. For the, uh, Paul says to the Corinthian church, For though ye have 10,000 instructors in Christ, yet have ye not many fathers. He said, you got a lot of people that can teach, but you don't have anybody producing children. What's he, what's he saying here? For in Christ Jesus, I have begotten you through the gospel. What's Paul saying? You guys, got, you guys got a lot of people that could teach. You got the, all the wisdom. You, you got the spiritual gifts you claim. But you know what? I'm not seeing anybody being born again. 
And he says, I have begotten you through the gospel. And how does he say he did it? For in Christ Jesus, I have begotten you through the gospel. Do you know how you were born again? You weren't born again and placed into Christ Jesus. You were placed into Christ Jesus and you were, then you were born again. Okay? You were born into the family of God. We talked about just the last one. We were of God. We're of God. You were, how, are, how are you of God? You were born into the family of God. Galatians chapter 5, uh, no, 4, 3 or 4, says, but ye are all children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. Okay? You become a child of God by that belief on Christ Jesus when you are born again. You're born into the family of God, but how does it happen? Because you are in, you're in Christ. When you get placed into Christ, you get a privilege of being born into God's family. Okay, and that is one, one, one of the ways you escape the, the father that you once had, okay? And there's, there's, a, there's several in this uh, section that we're going to go through that are, that are very uh, closely tied together. But you're begotten, you're born. He says, I begot, in Christ Jesus, I have begotten you through the gospel. It's not Paul that's making them born again, but it's in Christ, all right? Paul obviously led them there. He, he, he brought them to the, to, to the Lord Jesus Christ, delivered to them the gospel, like he said in 1 Corinthians 15. And in Christ, they were begotten again. They were born again. All right? And that's, that is something that you and I have a privilege because we're in Christ. All right? We're of God, and not only are we of God, we are his child. We are his child by birth, spiritual birth. Okay? Born again, begotten of God. Number 10, look at 2 Corinthians chapter 1. <clears throat> I guess the practical, one of the practical things about knowing that you're a child of God uh, the passage is escaping me. I want to say Galatians, but I'm not sure. Um, but it says, you're now, now children of light. Walk as children of light. Yeah, you know you're a child of God, but are you walking that way? Are you living that way? The knowledge that we're in Christ and being, having been born again and knowing we're children of God is not to be like, you, I'm a child of God and I'm going to sit here and enjoy this. It's to live like it. It's to live like a child of God. All right, first, second Corinthians, excuse me, chapter 1, verse 20 and 21. For all the promises of God in him, in Christ, are yea, and in him, amen. Which is actually, there's another one in Christ that I didn't even touch. Um, like I said, these 30 are not exclusive. For all the promises of God in him are yea, and in him, amen, unto the glory of God by us. Now he which establisheth us with you in Christ and hath anointed us, is God. Do you know what you have because you're in Christ? You are established. You are established. What's, what's established? It's to be fixed or settled in a state of permanency. You are not only... So let's, let's talk about this. You, look at this world. They're not established on anything. You can't... <laughs> You can't even state a matter of fact without being accused of being a hate monger. They're, they're so unsettled. They, they have nothing to stand on. They have no truth. They have no absolute truth. They have nothing to stand on. 
And what's more, they have no idea what, to, what, what comes after this life. They're not, they have no stability at all. If you think this world's got stability, why is everybody on meds? Why are people constantly committing, uh, committing suicide? Why, do they, why does everybody have to have a shrink and their shrink has to have a shrink? I, I'm, I'm serious. That's, that's the way it goes. Because they're unstable. And I, and I get it. I'm not, I'm not ridiculing them, mocking you. They're without Christ. They don't have Christ. But in Christ, God has established you and I. That's not only because you're secure. There's two, two ways this, this works. Number one, spiritually. You and I are established. We are secure. We are settled, permanently fixed in Christ. You're not getting out, and neither am I. That's good to know. Because if I had to worry my whole life about whether I still had it, I wouldn't be established. I wouldn't be settled. I wouldn't be fixed. Okay? So I am established in Christ. When Christ dies, that's when I'll lose my salvation. I'm in him permanently, eternally, settled, saved for all time. But I also have stability in this life. And if you have you you have if you're in Christ, you have eternal stability. You're established eternally, and you have stability in this life. That doesn't mean that you're not going to have problems. That doesn't mean you're not going to have things that come up that shake you to your core. That means that while those things come, and I know I, I'm just as guilty as the next person of forgetting this fact, but when those things come, you can have a settled assurance about what God is doing and trust in him and not be moved by those things. I know it's difficult, but when we remember we're in Christ and God's our Father and He's got it in His hands, we can be established. But that's only possible in Christ. A lost person doesn't have that. They're clinging to their psychology, they're clinging to their education, they're clinging to their riches, they're clinging to their drugs, whatever else it is. And it's just one thing after the other after the other, no stability. If you're saved, you got stability. You're established, fixed, settled permanently in Christ. That's a blessing. All right, uh, number 11. Look over in the next chapter. This, this, one, this one convicted me because I, I do not live in this one like I should. A lot of these I don't live in. A lot of these, I, you know... I don't know if you understand, any of, the, any of you that have preached or taught a lesson, I, I start putting these lessons together and I'm just like, I get under, under conviction. It's like, man, God, how I have lived 10, 20, 30 years of my Christian life and been ignoring this fact. But that's good. That's why we've got to get into the Bible and remind us of these things and hopefully get us um, um, more firmly settled on these things. All right, 2 Corinthians 2, <clears throat> verse 14. What do we have in Christ here? Now, thanks be unto God, which always causes us to triumph in Christ and maketh manifest the savor of his knowledge by us in every place. In Christ, we are able to, what does it say? Always triumph. There is no excuse for a Christian to suffer defeat. And I know, <laughs> we do. Yeah. 
but there's no need for us to. He causes us always to triumph. We got a sin problem. The victory is in Christ. You know, we sing the song, Victory in Jesus. We, it rolls off our lips, and yet, victory in Jesus, and yet, you know, uh, except for this, you know, this week when, when I fell back into sin, you know, I gave back into that, that thing that always affects me. Well, do you have victory or not? This verse says you do in Christ. Always. Now, that, that's a hard thing for me to, to look at, and, 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 and I, I, I believe it, but it's hard for a thing for me to grasp. Because that means that every time I'm up against a battle, I can have victory. Why don't I have victory? Because I forget that I'm in Christ and I start doing things on my own. I do it with my own power. I do it with my own intelligence. I, I just, you know, leave the book on the table and I don't read it. I, I ignore the, the moving of the Holy Spirit and, and ignore his, his uh, conviction. But if I submit myself to God understand my position in Christ, I have the ability to, vi to be victorious in every situation. He causes us always to triumph in Christ. There's victory always in Christ. Let's, th the point is to use that, to use that victory. You have it. You have victory. In fact, the, the whole, one, one of the lessons, that the, the reason I started the baptism lessons is because I wanted to get into another lesson talking about um, the spirit versus the flesh and the victory about that. And that's what part of this, what, what this is entails, is we have victory at our disposal. We have triumph at our disposal. We just don't use it. We have the book to give us the word. We have the Holy Spirit to give us the power. And we walk away from it and do our own thing because we feed this flesh more than we feed the spirit because we submit to the flesh more than we submit to the spirit of God. But Christ can cause us always to triumph in him. In him. You, you, think, you think there's something that Christ can't get the victory over? Let's look at it that way. Look at it that way. In, is there anything Christ can't be victorious over? No. So you're in him. I'm in him. I can be, have that same victory. It's just my, my submission to him. Or not. God still gives you a free will. I mean, you know, brother uh, Jeremy and Jeff and I were talking about this the other day, about the will of God. You know, people say God always gets his will done. It, that's, not, that's not true. <laughs> that's not true. 1 Timothy 2 says that God, who will have all men to be saved, that's God's will, that all men be saved. And yet, millions die and go to hell against his will. Okay. So God's will is our sanctification. For the, for the child of God, it's our holiness, our sanctification to live in victory. And yet millions of Christians walk along in defeat. Why? Because we have a free will. But it's available. The point is that in Christ, it's available. We just got to make use of it and submit ourselves to it. But in Christ, we can always, always triumph in Christ. I don't care what the situation is. I know. Things, I, I know. They come up and, and you're like, what am I going to do? How am I going to, how is this going to work out? How am I going to be victorious in this? I get it. And some of you have dealt with far greater things than I've ever had to deal with. But this verse tells me that I can always triumph in every one of those things because I'm in Christ. All right? That's, that is a blessing to know if we can get a hold of that fact. <laughs> that would change our lives. 
All right, 2 Corinthians, let's look at number 12. Boy, I don't know if we're going to get through all the... I thought I was going to try to get through... Oh, man, okay, all right. We'll just keep plugging along here. 2 Corinthians, what did I say? 3. 2 Corinthians 3. All right. Starting in verse 12, Paul says this, Seeing then that we have such hope, we use great plainness of speech. That's going to be the the key context for this passage here. We use great plainness of speech. And not as Moses, which put a veil over his face. Now, he's going to use the example of, of the time when Moses went up to the mount to get the law from God. He spoke with God face to face as a man speak to his friend. And he came down, and from the time that he, because of the time he spent with God, his face shone, literally shone. And the children of Israel were afraid because his, this guy's face is shining, okay? And I would be afraid too. What's wrong with you? Are you radioactive or something? I mean, get away from me, all right? All right, so Moses comes down. His face is shining. The children of Israel are afraid. He puts a veil over his face to kind of cover that glory of what, because he had seen the talk with God, okay? All right, so that, this is the illustration Paul is going to use. It's an illustration of that actual event that happened. He says, we use great plainness of speech, and not as Moses, which put a veil over his face, excuse me, that the children of Israel could not steadfastly look to the end of that which is abolished. Now, he's talking about the Old Testament economy being abolished, and he uses the illustration of that veil on Moses' face. Moses representing the lawgiver, the glory of God on his face, the veil's over that, veil is over that thing to hide that. And he says, the, the children of Israel could not steadfastly look unto the end of that which is ab- abolished. Verse 14, here's his application. But their minds were blinded, for until this day remaineth the same veil untaken away in the reading of the Old Testament. So what he's saying, we're getting to the point here, but what he's saying is the children of Israel, like that veil that covered the glory of, of Moses' face, they couldn't see his face. They can also not understand the truth of the Old Testament when it proclaims Christ. They're blind. It's like a veil is over their eyes still. That veil is still covering up the glory of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ in the, in the Old Testament. He says the, the same veil is untaken away in the reading of the Old Testament. They can read Isaiah 53 and they don't see that it's talking about Jesus Christ. They can see Psalm 22 talking about his hands and feet were pierced, talking about crying out, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Talking about the things that the, the, his persecutors said while he's on the cross. All those things and they can't see it. Because there's a veil over their eyes, and uh, it's not taken away, like that veil over Moses' face. So it says, that same veil is untaken away in the reading of the Old Testament, end of verse 14, which veil is done away in Christ. All right, what did he say? We're using great plainness of speech. In other words, speech that you can understand, speech that is clear, speech that you can see and they, you can understand, what is the difference? The, old, the, the Jews still don't see through the Old Testament the, the Lord Jesus Christ as the Passover lamb, the final sacrifice for them for sin. They can't see it. But he says, when you're in Christ, that veil is taken away. 1 Corinthians 2, 4, look, look back there. Hold your finger there. But look back at 1 Corinthians chapter 2. You ever try to witness to a lost person and you say something very clear 
especially when you quote scripture to them, something very clear from scripture, and it's like they, they just can't see it. They don't understand it. Why is that? It's, it's beyond that. It's beyond that. Look at verse, chapter, 1 Corinthians 2, verse 13. Paul says this, uh, talking about the things freely given to us of God, verse 13, which things also we speak, not in the words which man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth, comparing spiritual things with spiritual, but, so he says, I'm telling you things, spiritual things, and the Holy Ghost is going to teach you and you're going to understand them, but, verse 14, the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God. Why? Because they are foolishness unto him, it's not that necessarily, yes, you're right, Tim, they don't want to know, but why? More beyond that, neither can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. Why can't a lost person not understand some of the things in the scriptures? Now, yes, the, the word of God will plant a seed in their heart and the Holy Ghost can convict them and give them understanding of the gospel so that they can be saved. I, I'm not saying that's not the case. But when you show them things, you just, it's just like... Why? Because the veil isn't taken away. Still got that veil on their face. They can't understand it. When is that veil taken away? How is that veil taken away? Chapter 3, verse 14, it's done away in Christ. Do you know why you can read the Bible and understand something and say, look what God showed me today out of the scriptures? Because that veil got taken away from your eyes and you now have spiritual understanding. You don't get that understanding as a lost person. Brother Jeff is like, he, he, the things he tells me that, that he finds in Scripture, it's a blessing. It's a blessing. I wish everybody was telling me those things. But do you know why he understands those things? Because he had the veil taken away from his heart by the Lord Jesus Christ, because he's in Christ. A lost person can't see that. The benefit you have to understand the scriptures comes by being in Christ. It's spiritually discerned. You had a spiritual birth, and therefore you can understand spiritual things. But a lost person, a lost person can't see that. And, you know, and there's another application to this, too, not just understanding. It's a, it departs a little bit from the context that this verse is talking about. But you know that veil? There's another veil. Do you know the other veil? Do you know where the other veil is? Who knows where the other veil is in the Bible? The temple. There's another veil. Do you know what that veil separated? Do you know what other veil Christ took away? That veil in the temple between the people and God. What happened when he was crucified and he said it is finished? Right down the middle, that thing got split down the middle and the Holy of Holies was open for anybody who wanted to come in there through the blood of Christ. So not only do we get our understanding enlightened by having the veil, like Moses' veil, taken away, but we had that veil of separation between us and God taken away in Christ. That veil's taken away in Christ. Whew. All right. <laughs> Second Corinthians chapter 5. Look at verse... Let's start with verse... Uh, well, okay, we'll just do it. Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. This is point number 13. <clears throat> Second Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, 
If any man be, where? In Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Okay, now this ties a little bit back again to, to uh, being of God and being born again into his family, but it's, it's a little bit different. You had something new created in you when you got put into Christ. If any man be in Christ, there's the qualification, he is a new creature. Not you're going to be a new creature. Not old things will pass away. Not, old, not all things will become new. Are, is, you, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. All things are become new. This is not, now I understand, sanctification is a process we learn. We have this flesh we're attached to. We learn to put it down. I'm not talking about that kind of thing. But your salvation is not a process. You are in Christ and you are a new creature. You're made something new. God didn't take the old man and start fixing it up and making it better. That old man was reckoned dead with Christ, which is part of this baptism we're talking about. That old man is reckoned dead with Christ, in Christ and a new man is created. Something new. You have something new inside of you. That's why you have desires that are different from before. Or you should. Uh, it's not a reformation, okay? It's, it's a new creation. It's something brand new. Um, and again, this is, this is leading way beyond, I, mean, I don't know how long it's going to take us to get there, but it was leading way beyond to that whole thing I'm trying to head to with this between the spirit and the flesh, okay? That is why you have a new creature. That is why there is now a, or if you're saved, there is a struggle inside of you because you have an old man. He wasn't reformed. You have a new man and they are opposed to each other. If you're walking around this life without that struggle, I would seriously evaluate yourself. Okay? There should be... Paul the Apostle himself said he wars with himself. Because there's an old man in him that needs to be put down, and there's a new man in him that God created. And it created a war inside of himself. Now, there's victory in that war. Remember, we said in Christ we can always triumph, but it's there, okay? And there's a new creature. But thank God, God made something new in me and didn't just try to fix up my flesh or didn't try to fix up my old man. He made something new in me. It's a new man. Okay. Uh, oh, man. Oh, man. Uh, one, one more. Let's do one more. Number 14. Look at Galatians chapter 2. Uh, just for context, so we can kind of get the flow. Verse 1. Paul is talking about the visit he makes up to Jerusalem to deal with this whole thing with, are the Gentiles, are we supposed to still keep, be keeping the law? Are we supposed to compel the Gentiles to live under the law? And that's just the context, so you kind of understand the, the context of what we're talking about. But, um, 
And look at verse 1. Then 14 years after, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas and took Titus with me also. And I went up by revelation and communicated unto them that gospel which I preach among the Gentiles, but privately to them which were of reputation, lest by any means I should run or had run in vain. But neither Titus, who was with me, being a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. That's, that's the thing. They're, they're trying to say, oh, if you're a Gentile, if you're going to be saved, you've got to be circumcised. So this is the thing they're dealing with. Verse 4, and that because of false brethren unawares brought in, which came in privily to spy out our liberty, which we have in Christ Jesus, that they may bring us into bondage. Do you know what you have in Christ Jesus? Do you know what you have in Christ People, the lost person looks at you and says, why, oh, you're just in bondage to the, you know, you got to have rules and regulations, do this, do that, blah, blah, don't do this, don't do that. And they, they look at it as bondage. Do you know what you and I have in Christ? I got liberty. I got liberty. Now, now if you want to take this thing and run and say you have liberty to sin, you help yourself to your own destruction, okay? You can, you, go ahead. I don't, I'm not going to argue with you about this nonsense. You do not have liberty to sin. You have liberty from sin. You were bound to that thing when you were lost. You couldn't get away from it. Now you can. You have liberty from it now. The triumph, we always triumph in Christ. We can always triumph in Christ. We have liberty from that sin. We have liberty from being under a a law of rituals and regulations that could never take away sin, Hebrews says. That's what we have liberty from. We have liberty in Christ from a law that can't take away sin, and we have liberty from sin, not to sin. We have liberty from sin. And Paul says, hey, I'm teaching, I'm teaching these, these Gentiles. The, what, what did we read about when the veil was done away? It was done away in Christ, that those things were abolished, he says. That law, Paul is trying to teach these, these Jews, the law is no longer your, your means of righteousness. It is Christ. Being in Christ is your righteousness. And you have liberty now. I don't got to go to the temple every time I sin and bring a lamb and have his blood shed and, and go to the priest and I can't even get to the, temple, get to the altar because it's got to be the priest and not me. I am a priest. I can go right to God and I have liberty to do that. I have liberty. I have liberty from the law, liberty from sin. It's no longer bondage. The world looks at us and says, oh, you're in a bondage, you're in a cult, you can't get out of it. If, if this is a cult, why do people leave the church all the time? <laughs> you can't leave a cult, okay? <laughs> anyways, that, I, I don't know why I said that. But, but we are not in bondage. We have liberty. We have liberty in Christ. And it's because, it's because of those two little words. Because we're in Christ. And we, haven't, we, we have just gotten to the halfway point, folks, of what you get in Christ. And like I said, I didn't even get them all. This is an amazing thing. And when we get to the baptism that this involves, I'm doing this so we understand that's why it's so important to understand what the bap- that baptism is because of all that you and I have in Christ. 